And let's begin reading in verse number 13. The Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. Now watch this phrase, it's a peculiar phrase. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Father, would you use this truth in our life tonight? Father, let us see this. Um, Father, in the exact way you intended it. And so, Father, we'll thank you and we'll praise you for how you speak to us in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. So in light of this marvelous salvation in which is our hope, and in light of this marvelous salvation, which is not only our hope, but is our everything. This salvation in which the prophets inquired, but yet prophesied about. We talked about this morning. This salvation in which you and I have now experienced what only they could talk about. And this salvation that even the angels desire to look into. In light of this glorious salvation in which you and I have, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So in other words, this passage that we're going to look at is in direct correlation to what we've already looked at. And so he's dealing here with this, this salvation that we have talked about and he says, now in light of what you have, he said, let me give you some admonitions. I want you to look first, and he's going to deal with first what I call the freeing of your loins. The freeing of your loins. Now watch what he says, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Now what is he talking about gird up your loins? Well, if you have to understand in that day, you're going to find this absolutely hard to believe. They didn't have Levi's. They didn't have britches. They had these long flowing robes in which they wore. And they would have a sash or what we would call a belt that would wrap around these robes. And whenever they were about to do any form of work or wherever they were about to run or wherever they were about to journey... Here's what they would have to do. They would have to take those robes and they would pull them up and pull them over the sash that was around them. In other words, they would get them to the place where their knees and their feet would not be tangled up in the robe. And this is what he's saying, but in relation to the mind. So here's his first admonition. The freeing of your loins means what? Do not be encumber. Now you say, what do you mean? What would encumber my mind? What would cause me to stumble in my mind? Well, it's simply this. When you get your focus and your mind 
off of the great salvation in which you've experienced than you have. Or if you get your mind on your own flesh instead of the life of the Lord Jesus in you. In other words, any time that we start losing perspective of what we have in this salvation, our minds become encumbered. Why? Because they become very much filled with the wrong thoughts and the wrong perspectives. And that's the reason the Bible deals so much with your mind. That's the reason you find passages where it says, bring all your thoughts under the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Renew your mind. I mean, there's several passages that deal with the mind. Why? Because let me tell you something. If you think wrong, you're going to live wrong. And so the whole principle is God dealing with us in a way where we have a biblical perspective of who we are, what He's given us, and who He is. And when we have a biblical perspective, then all of a sudden we won't be encumbered in walking in this Christian life. Now these of, that Peter was writing to were being encumbered because of the trials and the persecution in which they were going through and it was very much messing with their way of thinking. And so that's these admonitions we've looked at, reminding them about this glorious salvation and then telling them, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Don't be hindered in your walk. One Bible commentator put it this way. He said, pull your thoughts together and have a disciplined mind. In other words, think correctly. Let me tell you why a lot of people live the way they live and excuse how they live. Because they have an incorrect perspective concerning God and concerning the Word of God. It's amazing what some people think now. Because people don't have an, a proper understanding of the Word of God. I had a conversation with a preacher just, just last week. And he said to me, he said, I got a question for you. I said, okay, what is it? He said, how come so many believe so much junk in which they believe? And he was talking specifically about our convention. And I said, well, it's very simple. I said, if you ask them, they say they believe the Word of God, it's inerrant, inspired, infallible. I said, but here's the problem. They went to the Word of God with their minds made up. They went to the Word of God with their own way of thought. And then they tried to overlay what they believe upon the Word of God and make it say what they believe. Instead of letting the Word of God form their beliefs. And that's the problem. That's the difficulty. That's what will encumber the mind. And so getting a biblical perspective. I had one lady tell me one time. She said, preacher, she said, I'm going to listen to you until you say something I don't agree with and then I'm going to tune you out. Now what she didn't understand is she just spoke volumes about who she was. Now I want you to listen to this preacher real quick. There's not a person in here including me that have all this figured out. And if you can't stay teachable, you're in trouble. If you can't be challenged on what you believe, you really don't believe what you think you believe. Don't be encumbered in your mind. Now, listen to what he, what he goes on to say. 
He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. So not only don't be encumbered, but don't be influenced. This word sober, it's a word that means self-control, which, by the way, is one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Then you say, wait a minute, preacher, how can I let self be controlled? Well, it's simply this. You can't be self-controlled. But when the Spirit of God has control, self will be under control. That's a reason it's a fruit of the Spirit. And so in other words, he's saying be sober, simply meaning this. The, the word can be defined this way. Be calm, be steady, be controlled. Or to weigh matters properly. In other words, you allow the Spirit of God as the life of your, of your soul, you allow the Spirit of God to begin to capture your thoughts, remove everything from your thoughts that encumber you to walk in the Christian life, and then the Spirit of God will control your thoughts, control the way you think, and here's what will happen. You'll be careful in every decision you make. And He'll begin to control your decision making. And He'll begin to control how you live. And the fruit of the Spirit will become abundantly apparent in your life. And so here's the thing. The freeing of the loins. In light of this glorious salvation, He says, I exhort you, free yourself from anything that encumbers you and anything that influences you. Don't be influenced with the wrong things. Second, not only do you see the freeing of the loins, but in the bottom of verse 13, you find a focus in your look. In other words, he said, you need to have a precise focus in what you're looking at. Notice what he says. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought. In other words, what perspective do you have concerning this salvation, concerning this grace? If the focus is wrong, your hope will be diminished. So in other words, our focus needs to be razor sharp concerning this salvation that we have. Because if it's not, listen, circumstances will dismantle you. One of the things that always bothers me is usually what you find is you find one of two problems. One problem is someone that becomes so passive that they do not want to in any way, shape, or form exercise the faith in which they have because they're so passive and so worried about what's going to happen if they exercise that faith. And then on the other side, you have those that want to be in control of every situation. In other words, they want their hand on the steering wheel of every little thing that happens in their life. But can I tell you, both of them are unbelief. Because both of them are not trusting God in the very essence. Both of them is a walk that has no hope. Because listen, if my hope is in Christ, how many agree? How can I hope in Christ if Christ is not in control? And so 
Here's the thing. He says, listen, free up your loins of your mind and then have a focus in your look. Now, let me give you a few things here. This focus in your look deals with a couple things. A firm expectation. This word, hope to the end for the grace. Now, what does this mean, hope to the end for the grace? Here's what it means. To set your hope fully. To have full hope. In other words, it's not a hope that's based upon what you're going through. It's not a hope that's based upon what you think God should do or shouldn't do. It's a a hope that is fully based upon who God is regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what's going on in your life. In other words, it's a hope that hangs on all the way to the end. You can't get rid of it. You can't stop it. Becomes the very fiber of your thinking. Becomes the very fiber of your being. It's a hope that is absolutely a firm expectation in your life. See, what was happening with these believers here is they were becoming faint and weary in their trials. And they were starting to, if you will, become weary in their hope of their salvation. And they were become to, to begin to be weary in, in, in God's dealing with them. But here's the reality. He's writing to these believers. He said, oh, wait a minute here. Understand what you have in your salvation. Understand that this is what the prophets tried to tell you. Understand this is what the angels desire to know. But you know. He said, and you keep your hope all the way to the end. Don't let other things encumber your mind. Influence your way of thinking. Be razor sharp in your focus. Well, there's a second component to this. A faithful ending, enabling. He says, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. When you read this in the English, it reads as if God is going to give us more grace when Jesus comes. Isn't that the way it reads in the English? Well, there's a problem with that. Because here's what it, here's, here's the way it reads. For the grace that is to be brought, the word brought is present tense. In other words, it's grace you already have. But how many agree the Bible says we have grace upon grace? So what does this mean? It means God's already given you grace. But God's grace is going to be a continuous thing in your life all the way to the end. And so in other words, this grace in which you have will continue and it will be a continuous provision all the way to the end. Can I tell you something today? I got some good news for you. If you're saved, you got grace because grace is a person and you got the person. And if you got the person, I want to tell you something. You're not losing the person but if, because you can't lose the grace. And therefore, guess what? Till the day you die, His grace will be manifested in your life. It's a grace that never ends. It's a continuous thing in your life. And we just become the recipients of what God has given us. But how many of y'all would confess in here 
None of us deserve it. And he says this, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought. And so not only is it a continuous provision, it's a completed revision, provision at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's the end result of all this grace? When Jesus comes and Jesus is revealed, your salvation will become perfected in Christ. So if you're saved today, how are you saved? Grace through as you live, how do you live? Grace through guess what? Grace will take you all the way. And grace will perfect you when you get to glory. No wonder we sing amazing grace. No wonder our praise team leads us in grace so marvelous. Because it is. It, you see, it's a grace that, that stays. It's a grace that becomes the faithful enabling of the Christian life. But here's the parameters. When you don't gird up the loins of your mind, when your mind gets encumbered and your mind gets influenced by the wrong thing, then here's the sad part. The grace that you received at salvation, you don't enjoy in your day-to-day -day walk. Let me show you a passage real quick. This is not on the outline, um, by the way. It just came to my heart. So I've got to find it myself. Turn with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 1. Here's what I'm talking about. He's just said in chapter 5, we're new creation. Old things are passed away, but all things become new. All things are reconciled to God. He tells us that we're ambassadors of Christ. He tells us in verse 21, He has made us to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And in light of all that, watch what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. We then, connecting you back, as workers together with Him, beseech you also, you receive not the grace of God in what? What does that mean? It means you don't let the grace that God gives you become an empty thing in your life. And the way that does is when your mind becomes encumbered and influenced. How many of you found that when you're troubled, when you're worried, you find the Christian life to be a lot more difficult to live that day. Because your mind is encumbered. And in that, the grace of God is not able to control your thinking. 
like you desire it to control. This is what he's talking about here. And, and boy, what, isn't it a beautiful picture? All right, so, so here's the thing. We see the freeing of the loins. We see the focus in your look. But thirdly, we see the familiarity in your likeness. Well, I want you to look at this. Verse 14 through 16. As obedient children. Let me show you first the relationship of, of the same. How many of you are glad today that when God saved you, you became His child? The Bible says we become the sons of God. That's what the Bible said. Romans chapter 8. He that is led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So here's the picture. The relationship of the saved is this. You are His children. But not just His children. His obedient children. When you go to Walmart and you see a, a child acting like a crazy person and the parent's doing nothing, do you blame the child or do you blame the parent? Parent. See, we live in a day today where the children tell the parents what they want to do. Are y'all hearing me say amen? I mean, you listen, you go ask people that have a lot of kids why they go to church where they go. I guarantee you a lot of them will say because that's where my kids are coming. Whatever happened because that's where God put me. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Say, preacher, you're getting on a soapbox. I am, but I'm going to shoot that rabbit in a minute, okay? <laughs> but now here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's a relationship that you and I entered into and the relationship is a child with a father. But not just a child with a father, an obedient child with a heavenly father. And so in other words, you have now and I have now been linked, been put together with the heavenly father. And now we're represented. Of him. You that have children, how your child acts, whether you know it or not, when they're young, how your child acts reflects on what people think of you. It does. And so the reality is this, that we have been brought into this relationship and this relationship is a relationship of obedience. Now listen, obedience and holiness are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Now here's what you need. It's the children that obey, not the strangers. In other words, I'm not going to tell somebody else's child how to live. I'm not their parent. Now, I can preach to the truth, but I'm saying, listen, I'm not the parent. And so God the Father has now allowed you and I to be brought under His headship, His fatherhood. And the assumption is made here that if we're His children, 
we will be obedient to. Now, so not only do you see the relationship of the saved, you see the reality of the saved. Watch what he does here. Because this, boy, this is unique. He says, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. So in other words, if you're saved, how many agree something changed in your life? All right, so this is, this is the reality. Something is different about you. And so here's what Peter's saying. He said, don't let your mind be cluttered. Don't let your mind be encumbered. Don't let your mind be influenced. Whereby, as obedient children, you allow the world to conform you back to who you used to be. How many of you would agree today, since you've been saved, there's times you act like who you used to be? This is the caution. Don't let that happen. Now, I understand we're not going to be sinless perfect, but here's what it means. Don't let that happen. So here's what he does. He gives a strong caution. Don't allow this to, don't allow this to conform you. Don't allow these encumbering things in your mind to conform you. Don't let this world encumber you. Don't let your own desires... Your own desires, fleshly desires, can inform you. The hardest battle you have living the Christian life is your own personal desires. The hardest battle you have in the Christian life. You say, well, preacher, I don't have any personal desires away from the Word of God. Then you meet with me after church. And bring your wife. I want to ask her. We all struggle with personal desire. And he says, don't allow those things to encumber you. Pull up the loins. Put them in your sash. And don't allow them to encumber you. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I, I quoted a, a, a part of it a minute ago. Be not conformed to this world. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God? Don't allow your mind to cause you to be conformed to something else. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Peter unpacks this a little bit more for us. He says, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, reveling, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. In other words, here's what he's saying. God changed you. And you're not walking like you used to walk. And the world notices. And the world's sitting there scratching their head and saying, what happened to you? You're not any fun anymore. He says, don't be conformed back to who you used to be. So he gives a strong caution here. 
And then he gives a stated conclusion. Watch what he says. He says here, according to the former lust, in your ignorance. How many agree? How many remember the message I preached not long ago out of Jeremiah? The heart's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? All right. So how many agree today when you were lost, you were ignorant of the fact that self was the king? In other words, your heart deceived you. You could have been religious to the core and still been lost. And so when you were lost and when I was lost... We walked in blindness, blindness being ignorance. We, we just didn't see the error of our way. Well, listen, we were taught morals. We were taught good things and bad things and stay away from some things. And the morals of our life kept us somewhat in check in our lostness. But yet the reality was we just did not understand that I am my king. It's my life. I'll determine what I want to do with it. My time. I'll determine how I'm going to spend it. We did it in our ignorance. And so he states a conclusion here. Don't be conformed. Allow your mind to be encumbered whereby you're conformed, if you'll let me use this, to the ignorance in which you used to walk in. Let me put it to you another way. Don't allow your mind to be cluttered where you become deceived like you were before you were saved. That's what he said. Now, as he which hath called you is holy. All right. Remember a few weeks ago. If you're saved today, who initiated your salvation? All right. So did you find him or did he find you? All right. So who called you to salvation? God who is holy called you to himself. So here's the picture. What is the requirement of the saved? It's simply this. He takes the negative, do not be conformed, and now he attaches a positive, be holy. So he first deals with the source of holy. He who called you is holy. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, According as he hath chosen us in him, be in Christ, before the foundation of the world. In other words, the pathway of salvation through Christ was chosen before the foundation of the world. And he chose us in Christ that we should be holy and without blame in love. I'll tell you what happens a lot of times. People are counseled. When I tell them what salvation encompasses, that God expects and demands you to walk in what he's given you, which is holy. You wouldn't believe how many people say, I didn't sign up for that. See, people want salvation to be happy after they die. 
They want what God can give them, but they do not want what God is, who God is. But he says, he that called you is holy. You see, this is the source of our holiness. But notice the scope of holiness. So be holy. In all manner of conversation. The word conversation means in all manners of your life or your living. So what's the scope of this holiness? How much of my life is to be affected by this holiness? Every aspect of your life. You say, preacher? You mean this holiness is to affect my thinking? It is. To affect my living? It is. To affect my decisions? It is. To affect my, what I do with my time? It is. To affect what I do with my talents? It is. To affect what I do with my treasures? It is. In all manner. In other words, the holiness of God. Here, here's the way most church folks in America see the holiness of God. It's like a smorgasbord. It's like a cafeteria-style smorgasbord. In other words, if it fits me, I'll take a little bit of it. Hey, I'll be holy in this area. I like this. Oh, wait a minute. I got I to gotta go to church three times a week? Ooh, no, no, no. Not going to do that. I'll leave that alone. That's like asparagus. I don't like asparagus. And so, I mean, it's just we pick and choose what we want in holiness. I got news for you. It's not a smorgasbord. It's a take it all or don't have it at all. You're going to find out in just a minute that I just found out 30 minutes before service that this passage said something I had no idea it said. And I've quoted it a million times. But it says here, be ye holy. Why? Because he that called you is holy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation. Who you used to be. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And you renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is again. That you put on the new man, which after God is created, what? In righteousness and true holiness. Holiness is not a Sunday thing. Holiness is a 24-hour a day, 365 days a year thing. And by the way, I'm going to make a statement, and y'all going to love me anyway. Y'all say amen. Holiness is not what you do. Holiness is who you are. You do what you do because that's who you are. How many of you agree today that when you were lost, you were dead in trespasses and sin? You lived out who you were. But when God saved you, He made you who you are not. He imputed and imparted righteousness in you Holiness in you, the life of the Lord Jesus is your holiness, and He imputed and imparted that life in you that now you can be who He is. 
To me, this is one of the most encompassing but yet convicting verses in all of Scripture. How many of us tonight would be willing to ask God, God, of all my manner of living, what parts of my living is not in conjunction or in unison with who you are as holy? I mean, it's a, it's a glorious, it's a glorious passage. All right, now, let me close. So we saw the source of holiness, the scope of holiness. Now I want you to see, lastly, the standard of holiness. Look at verse 16. Because it is written. Now, if you're saved today, how many of you agree what God says is preeminent to you? So in other words, when you see a statement because it is written, how many of you agree? He's going back to something he's already stated. So in other words, when you see that statement as a saved person, your antenna ought to go up, your spirit ought to rise up within you and say, He said what? Speaks of authority. It is written. Now watch this. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, here's something I've never seen in this passage. I was telling Brandon before service, I uh, finished this message on Friday. And for whatever reason, I was looking over my stuff before service like I always do, and I just felt the need to dig a little deeper into verse 16. And here's what I found that I've never seen before. In the original Greek, it doesn't read, be ye holy. Here's the way it reads in the original Greek. You will be holy. Because he is holy. In other words, if you're a child of God, God said, because I am holy and I'm the one that called you unto myself and I'm the one that put my life in you. You will be holy. Because I made you a new person. How could you be anything else but? So where was this written? Well, I'm glad you asked. The book of Leviticus. The word holiness is mentioned more in the book of Leviticus than any other book in the Bible. And it set the standard for God's expectation for His children. How many of you agree in the Old Testament, Israel was His children? The apple of His eye. How many of you agree in the Old Testament, Israel lived under the law where we live under grace? What if I told you God's expectation for Israel under the law is no different than God's expectation for you under grace? You say, what do you mean? Because that's where it was written. In Leviticus. You say, well, which verse in Leviticus? Well, I'm glad you asked. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. 
For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourself and you shall be holy. Why? For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. You say, for I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt. Be your God and you shall therefore be holy for I am holy. Look what it says. Leviticus 19 verse 2. He says it again. Speak unto the, all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 7. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be holy, for I, the Lord God, I am the Lord your God. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 26. And you shall be holy unto me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people that you should be mine. And you say, preacher, what are you saying? Don't you think God's trying to get their attention? That holiness is the forethought of the mind of God. Why? Because it's the greatest number one characteristic of God. And God's standards not change. But here's the glory of it all. Israel, be ye holy. So they had to go do. They had to live up to a standard. And if you would ask them, they'd have said, hey, we're righteous, we're holy, because look what we do. And God said, oh, you're not righteous. You're not holy. Because no man can live up to my standard of the law. But you and I, everything changed. God said, I know you can't. And so let me give you what you don't have. Let me give you my holiness. Let me give you my righteousness. Let me give you my spirit that will enable you and equip you and, and lead you and guide you, instruct you and remind you of truth that you can walk in what I command. Let me give you myself, for I am holy. I'm not just the one that called you, I did. But I am your life. I am your everything. I am your holiness. And therefore God took what He told Israel in the Old Testament that they could never ever achieve. And He now puts Himself in us. And now not only can holiness be reality, holiness is God's standard. You will be holy. Because I am holy. Why does a baby cry at birth? Heather, would you agree when you deliver a child and that baby don't cry at birth, you get very troubled? Why does a baby cry at birth? Because he has life. And life expresses itself. Why is a believer to be holy? Because they have holiness, the Holy One. And what they have will express. So. I started this point out with the familiarity in your life. Because here's really what Peter's saying. Peter's saying to these believers, look at the salvation you got. Look to it as your hope even to the end. 
Don't be encumbered in your mind. Don't be influenced in your mind. Don't allow the things that you encumber your mind with to conform you to who you used to be because you're not who you used to be. You've been made obedient children unto a heavenly Father. And by the way, if you don't know who your Father is, He's holy. And if you're His children, you'll look like Him. going to be a family resemblance. Can anyone deny you belong to your Heavenly Father? Don't be encumbered. Be who you are. 